Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. I'm going to talk today about um, free grace theology and how it makes a difference. You've heard already probably the term free grace used quite a bit. Uh, You know that there are different theological systems. We've mentioned uh, one extreme we would call the strong Calvinist or hyper-Calvinist or deterministic religion. And then we've also mentioned the Arminian religion on the other side that emphasizes the free will of man. Where is a free grace in all of that? And why in the world do we call it free grace to begin with? I mean, isn't grace free by definition? Well, of course it is. But sometimes when there are theological debates and discussions, you have to be specific about uh, what you're talking about to help define where you are. Because everybody uses the word grace, right? Both the strong Calvinists and the, the Arminian side, they all talk about grace. But we all don't mean the same thing. Uh, For example, there is a strong Calvinist author who wrote a book criticizing, it's called uh, uh, Free Grace Theology, Five Ways It Diminishes the Gospel. And he's like the world's leading theologian right now. And uh, he criticizes Free Grace Theology and along with me and and, uh, many of my colleagues. And uh, if you look in his book, You'll see in his subject index, many references to faith, many references to repentance and these controversial subjects. Not once in the subject index does he mention grace. And then you look in vain in his book for a definition of grace. And then it suddenly dawns on you, oh, I see why he has a problem understanding free grace theology. He hasn't defined grace nor seemed to understand what grace really is, or at least how wonderful, amazing, and marvelous it is. And when we don't understand the freeness of God's grace, we're, we, we will stray into areas that cause problems of confusion, shame, doubt, fear, I think stunted Christian growth, legalism, etc., etc. So we use the term free grace not as a redundancy. We could actually point to Romans 3.24 as we did yesterday and see where Paul mentioned that we're justified freely by his grace. So he emphasizes it there. So we sometimes have to emphasize words like that. When they were debating the inerrancy of the scriptures, you know, it used to be enough to say the word of God is true. And then then we had to start saying the inspired word of God. Then we had to start saying the verbally inspired word of God. And then we had to start to talk about the, the verbal plenary inspired word of God in the original documents. It all depends on who you're talking to. So what is free grace theology and how does it make a difference? Well, you know that any theology has a lot of different flavors. Any denomination has a lot of different flavors. Even within free grace, there are different flavors, uh, so to speak. And I'm going to give you what I think is the mainstream held by most of those who claim to be free grace, such as myself. This would represent uh, where I stand in the free grace discussion. We're going to talk about what is the free grace view, and then we're going to... uh, Uh, talk about how it makes a difference. But before that, just let me explain a little bit about how I came to a free grace view. I really don't know. Uh, People ask me that all the time, and I say, you know, I I, I got saved by someone sharing the gospel with me, as simple as John 3.16. For two years, I didn't go to a church because I didn't know where to go. 
And uh, I, my f roommate and I, we studied the Bible together all and just discussed it and talked it over. We read books. We listened to some tapes. Perhaps we were listening to the, the best ones, the good ones. I went to a school where there was some mixed theology, maybe leaning a little bit towards Calvinism. And, uh, but I just learned to read the Bible in its context. And if something didn't make sense, I threw it out. If it made sense, I kept it. And so I didn't always agree with my professors, and I hope, I hope anybody here who's had theological education doesn't always doesn't, uh, go through their education not questioning everything like the Bereans, or at least going home and checking things to see if they're so. Uh, that's just healthy Bible study and methodology. So even what I'm saying today, go home and check it out, is what I would tell you. That's what we do. And the more we compare Scripture to Scripture, uh, the more I just merged into a free grace view. And some of the things I criticize today, I used to preach myself probably until I understood more clearly uh, issues about faith, repentance, salvation, Christ's lordship, um, and things like that. So uh, there was no dramatic turning point for me. Um, although I've talked to some people who say, boy, I read this book and it just changed everything for me. Yeah, you know, I, I never had that moment. So it's just a matter of scriptural Bible study. So why is the free grace view important and what is it? Let's talk about what it is first of all. And um, I'm gonna give you 10 things. That's why I wanted to use overhead today because it's a lot. I don't have notes printed out, I'm sorry. Yankee used all the paper. <laughs> first of all, free grace teaches that the grace of salvation is absolutely free. The meaning of grace comes from the word gift, and it, it, a gift is something that is free and it is undeserved. It cannot be paid for, it ceases to be a gift. We talked about that from Romans chapter three. Three verse 24, freely, we're justified freely by his grace. Romans eleven six, which uh, is quite a tongue twister for me, so I always read it. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works, then otherwise grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace, otherwise works is no longer work. Simply said, grace and works do not mix any more than oil and water or round and square. They are, they are completely uh, opposite one another. They are related in a way that grace can bring about works, but they are not the same thing. And grace is an absolutely free, undeserved, unmerited gift of God to those who do not deserve it. That's where we start. That's where I would like to see any book that's gonna criticize our view explain grace. Start out with that definition, at least. Well, if the means of salvation is grace, then that means it can only be received through faith because grace has nothing to do with works as a condition. So if it's not works, it has to be faith because faith is contrasted with works in verses like Romans 4, uh, 4 and 5. And let me read those to you um, with my new glasses that I just had to buy. I lost two pair already this trip. Um, now, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Okay, you get the idea. If you work for something, it suddenly ceases to be grace. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies 
justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted for righteousness. Does not work, but believes. There's a contrast there. So in no way is faith a work. Faith is just simply believe, being convinced of something, being persuaded that something is true. You don't have to work at being persuaded that something is true. You either know it or you don't. You believe that I'm standing here or you don't believe it. You believe that the lights are on or you don't believe that the lights are on. You don't have to work at believing that. So if salvation by grace is an absolutely free gift, that does not involve works as a condition, the only way to receive it would be by faith. And that, I often illustrate faith as, you know, an empty hand that brings nothing to God and just takes what he gives to us. Now, in free grace theology, we do believe that that faith has to have an object, but we're not, because technically, we're not saved by grace, we're saved through grace. I'm sorry, we're saved by grace through faith, not by faith. It's not our faith that saves us, but it's our faith in something that saves us, and that something is Jesus Christ. So uh, faith would be the instrument, we'd call it the instrumental means to the effective means of our salvation. It's philosophical language, meaning that faith is the instrument that takes us to what actually saves us. We have faith in a person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, or God the Son. Um, who has the divine power to save us. In Acts chapter 16, 31, Paul simply said to the jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever, when this, over and over again in the scriptures, of course, and John believes in him. Romans, faith in Christ. So the object of faith is always Jesus Christ himself, but not just any Jesus. Because in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul warns the Corinthians that there is another Jesus. Now, there are some flavors of free grace theology that say it doesn't matter which Jesus you believe in, just believe in Jesus, you can figure out who later. I really disagree with that view. I disagree with that view. It's the G Jesus as the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the dead. That's the one that we believe in. At the end of, the, at the end of John, when uh, Thomas was doubting, Jesus stood before him and he showed him evidence of his death in his hands, his wounds, and his evidence of his resurrection by his very presence. And then he said to Thomas, do you believe this? And then we have the purpose statement for John, which says he could have written many other signs, but these things he wrote that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. At that point, we know that what John is saying is he is the, uh, he is the dead and risen Christ, the Son of God. So it is not any Jesus that we believe, but it is, is God's son. I think that's very important to maintain that. Um, sometimes we're accused in the free grace camp of believing in correct propositions uh, uh, in, uh, instead of uh, the person of Christ. Well, but how do you understand the person of Christ without propositions? So it's not either or, it's both and. Jesus said, you know, I and the Father are one. Uh, I will give eternal life to whoever believes in me. That's a proposition, but that's also a person making the promise. So you really can't separate the two. But anyway, the object of our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And free grace theology holds to the finished work of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. As we saw yesterday, it's through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. 
to telestai, meaning that it is paid in full. There's nothing left to do. If there's nothing left to do, and you couldn't do anything to earn your salvation, then that also implies that there's nothing you can do to lose your salvation. It's finished, it's over. And so our salvation is eternal, which by definition means uninterrupted and secure. Now, I don't think everybody always understands all the implications of having eternal life, and they can immediately start having some questions about that. Some people get it right away. But, uh, but I think what Jesus intended to tell us is that salvation is forever, and we are secure. Whoever comes to him, he will in no ways cast out. There's so many verses that give us that firm assurance of salvation and security of salvation. Um, number five is uh, that free grace provides the only basis for assurance of salvation. Uh, some people will say, oh, Calvinists say they're sure, and the Arminians say they, they're sure. Uh, but as has been pointed out, um, let's think about that a little bit. You see, the Arminians over here, they say, I'm sure that I'm saved today yeah. <laughs> if I'm walking faithfully. But since they can't predict the future, I'm not quite sure about tomorrow. I could lose it. Is that full assurance? No. No, it's not full assurance. The Calvinists over here say, I'm sure, I'm sure that salvation is secure. I'm sure that all the elect are secure, securely safe forever. I'm just not sure if I'm one of the elect. What a dilemma from both sides. Why? Because this side, the Armenians, depend on performance and works for their assurance. They can only be as sure as their works allow them to be. The Calvinists over here can only be assured as much as their works allow them to be as well. Because they must persevere to the end to prove that they were really saved to begin with. So this author that I've mentioned earlier who criticizes our view, uh, if you ask him, does he have full assurance, he, he would say, I have a relative assurance. And he says, if you have little works, you have some assurance. If you have a lot of works, you can have a lot of assurance, but never, ever full assurance. Never have I heard one claim to have full assurance. I've heard up to 99% to getting close. Any system that depends, that compromises grace and makes it dependent upon our performance, our works, our merit, can never ever offer full assurance of salvation. If a system cannot offer full assurance of salvation, that will always leave any thoughtful or introspective person in doubt or in fear or in just in confusion. Our assurance is based not on what we do, our performance, but on what God has done for us when he said it is finished. Amen. On the finished work of Jesus Christ, on his promise, the promise in God's word, it's an objective basis that never changes. My feelings change every day. My conduct changes every day. God's promise never changes. And that's where we in the free grace camp base the assurance of our salvation. Number six is that free grace distinguishes between salvation and discipleship. I remember Dr. Ryrie in his book, Balancing the Christian Life, and I quote it in my, one of my books because it's 
such an important concept, quote, he says that this is one of the most important distinctions any Christian can make in Bible study, is learning to distinguish between the verses that talk about salvation and discipleship. And that's why I wrote my black and white book, I call it, Grace, Salvation, and Discipleship. Take 130 passages that people often confuse together and using a model of A truth, B truth, showing these are speaking about salvation, A truth, these are speaking about discipleship, B truth. And that's, that is where we get into trouble because people take the B truth or Christian truth uh, verses like work out your own salvation, Philip, but Paul said that to the Philippian church. And they make it an A truth. You have to work for your salvation. No, Paul was talking to Christians. Or he talks to his disciples and he says, deny yourself, take up your cross. They make that a condition of salvation, an A truth. But no, Paul was talking to Christians, disciples. It's a B truth. Anyway, we'll get talk, mention that again. But discipleship uh, has many conditions. The scriptures, Jesus lists many conditions. I emphasize seven of them usually when I'm preaching on it because seven of them he clearly states. Uh, and, but there, there, there are more. In fact, there are as many as there are commands and exhortations in the New Testament, what it means to be a disciple. But when it comes to salvation, how many dis- conditions are there? One condition. One condition of salvation. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So salvation is absolutely free by grace. Through faith, the one condition. Discipleship is costly. Jesus said, if you don't do this, you can't be my disciple. Unless you do this, you can't be my disciple. You've got to be willing to pay the price, to deny yourself, take up your cross, to give up everything, even your own life. What a difference there is. How can people confuse that in their thinking and their theology and then preach that mess to a group of people that are just going to walk out of that building all confused about whether they're in God's family or not? It's makes my heart sad. So salvation is based on faith. Discipleship is based on performance. And discipleship is based on keeping the commitments that God has given to us in his his word and, and faithfulness, we should say. Faith versus faithfulness. Number seven teaches, faith free grace teaches that the Christian life is also by grace through faith. So we're not only saved by grace, but we are to live by grace. Grace doesn't cease to help us and provide for our needs only in salvation, but we're to live by grace. In fact, grow in grace, as 2 Peter 3.18 says, because grace provides everything that we need to become like Christ and reach our final destination. I like to define grace as everything you don't deserve for anything you need. Starts with salvation but it means that he's also going to provide for me today and tomorrow. Grace is everything you don't deserve for anything you need. So that is the promise to us as Christians. We don't have to revert to the flesh to become like Christ or to live a Christian life or to be disciplined. We depend on the power of God. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 32, when Paul was talking to the Ephesian elders in his farewell address. He says, I commend you to the word of grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance. It's the word of grace that builds people up, not laws and legalism and preaching uh, of, of guilt and shaming people, but God's grace that you are accepted and loved and you are God's child. 
and he's done so much for you. Don't you want to do something for him? Yes. Grace is accessed through faith. As we were wonderfully reminded yesterday by Tom, uh, we have access to this grace through faith. So that's written to Christians. You and I can open that door of grace anytime we want because it's there for us. I love uh, Hebrews 4, 16, which says we come boldly before the throne of grace to find grace and mercy in time of need, or something, I didn't quote it exactly right. Uh, we can just come to God and it's like, he's like an open bank account and, and just take what we want, what, what we need from him. That's the invitation that we have. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, he's been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me who loved me, gave himself for me. He lives by faith in the grace that he has received. So grace is not just something we talk about when we talk about salvation. Uh, we, it extends into the Christian life. And we tend to fight the battles and write more of our literature on the front end about that. But actually, I've got to contribute a chapter to a book that's coming out this fall. Look for it. It's called Living by Grace. And it talks about how grace affects our life. My chapter is uh, practicing grace in ministry. And um, we wanted to emphasize that grace is something that we are to carry through all of life. Number eight, free grace provides the best motivation for godly living. Not guilt, not doubt, not fear, not threats, not dangling people over hell every Sunday who have already believed not shaming people, but how about love and gratitude? How about love and gratitude? Helping people understand what God has done for them to generate in their heart a reciprocal love for him. We love God because he first loved us. And when people understand the love of God, they will be motivated to return that love. Normally, generally, they should. You see, you can get people to do anything you want them to do, right, preachers? If you just scold them enough, make them feel guilty enough, you can get people to march in line. That's called legalism. That's imposing upon people things that Scripture doesn't impose for acceptance with God. But God says You're, we are his children, and he accepts us on the basis of Jesus Christ. Now, treat one another like children, not like slaves, and let us respond to him in love, and in grace, the highest motivations there are. Fear and guilt, they can motivate, but they're way down here on, on the scale of motivation. God doesn't want us to live uh, hovering in fear in his presence. He wants us to be open and free in his presence. And you've all been uh, raised as children and, or, and have, or have children yourself. Does a family dynamic work when the children fear their parents, literally fear their parents, and live in shame and guilt all the time or wonder if their parents even love them enough to keep them in the family? That's not a healthy environment for growth. The healthy environment for growth is we love you no matter what you do. You can come to us anytime. We know you're going to fall flat on your face, but we still love you for who you are. Number nine. Free grace holds the Christian is accountable. You see, we're often accused of preaching 
free grace. Oh, all you need to do is believe in Jesus Christ. You can do anything that you want. Once saved, always saved. Give people a license to sin. You've heard that before. But that's not, not what we say at all. I always encourage people when we do preach the gospel of free grace, as Paul does in, in his book and throughout his epistles, is remind them that there are responsibilities and expectations and purposes that God has for us. And we will be held accountable for how we use the grace he has given us. Because the scripture does talk about grace that can be uh, abused or despised or neglected. And when we do that, there, we have to give an account for that. But the scriptures teach that we should live gratefully. Now look at Romans. Chapter 1 through 11, Paul talks about the grace of God and what it has done for us, what he has done for us. He never tells us what to do for 11 chapters. And then in chapter 12, therefore I urge you brothers, in view of God's mercy, what I just told you for 11 chapters, offer your bodies a living sacrifice. Your body is everything that you are, so just offer yourself to God. See, Paul didn't even want to preach what we should do until he preached what God has done and who he has made us. So with that emphasis, he can now preach what we should do. You know, most of the sermons I hear, I just hear preachers jumping into the what we should do part. You're not doing enough of this. You're sinning too much here. Let's preach grace and remind people what God has done and who they are. God wants us to have good works, Ephesians 2.10, after our favorite verses, uh, we're saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. God has created us in Christ Jesus for, that's a purpose statement, for the purpose of good works. Good works are not guaranteed, but they are God's purpose for us. He wants us to do good works. They help his purpose, they help other people, they help us. Good works are very important. So we have a new position in Jesus Christ, according to Romans, as Paul goes on to explain that we're buried in Christ and risen with him in new life. We have a new master in Jesus Christ, um, and we're no longer slaves to the old master of sin and flesh. We have a new master, Jesus Christ, and we can live by a new power, the Holy Spirit. That's the key to Christian victory, is living by the Spirit of God, not by the flesh, Romans 8, which comes after the uh, struggle we read with the flesh and trying to live on your own in chapter 7. And there is the aspect of God will discipline his children if they go astray. God doesn't let his children run wild. He loves us too much. He loves us too much. You see a child running wild in Walmart and, uh, and you say, wow, who's, you know, he's running by all these adults and say, Who's, whose child is that? Well, eventually somebody's going to step forward and grab that kid nicely, speak to that kid sternly. Probably, not anymore, yeah, I'm saying I'm, I'm being careful with my words. They're probably not going to spank the kid like I would have been, but you're going to be able to tell immediately who the parent is because it's the one who cares about that child. God chastens us, disciplines us because He cares for us, and that's the whole point of Proverbs that is quoted in. Hebrews chapter 12. It's a sign of God's love and acceptance. And then we will face the judgment seat of Christ. We are reminded over and over again in the scriptures that we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for the life that we've lived here. And there we will receive rewards and some, we may be denied rewards or our works that we thought were good may be burned up at the judgment seat of Christ. 
So we have to, we have responsibility and we will be held accountable. We're not preaching that we have a license to sin and do whatever we want. We have a license to do whatever God wants us to do, really, is how it should be said. Well, number 10 is that free grace is committed first to an accurate interpretation of the Bible. Now, I know what you're thinking. I should have said that first. I should have said that first. I could have said that first, but I saved it for last. Where do we get free grace from? Did we invent a, a theological system out of the air? No, it comes from reading the Bible, taking it uh, in its plain, literal sense, uh, especially uh, using, if we can, the original languages, understanding God's various ways in the scriptures of administering his plan in different ages. That that's usually comes out of dispensational view of the scriptures, and that's why we find more free grace theology in dispensational circles than anywhere else, because we've learned to distinguish what God is doing in different ages and distinguish God's purpose for Israel from God's purpose for the church. They are not the same. And we have a commitment to the Bible before we have a commitment to a theological system. You see, a, a lot of people we have to have patience with because they, they're raised up in a certain tradition, church, or go to a certain school that teaches from one perspective, a theological perspective. That's what they've learned, and they're convinced of it, and they love their mentors, their pastor, and so forth. And, and, and as uh, Freddie so well said, they're not our enemies. They just are a little bit confused. They got set on the wrong track. And we can co gently correct them. And boy, have I seen that happen so many times. Uh, gently correct them with the scriptures. So be careful about letting, here's what I tell people, don't let theology push you. Let the scriptures lead you. Why do we end up way over here or way over here? Because we have let theology push us. Let the scriptures lead you. You may not always understand what the scriptures are saying, but stay with the scriptures and say, well, I don't understand that. Nothing wrong with that. But let the scriptures lead you. Now, even within the free grace movement, we recognize that interpretations may vary on certain passages, specific passages. And uh, we have small internal discussions about uh, the meaning of repentance or uh, uh, the, the consequences in the parables and, and things like that. Those are, to me, those are kind of fun things. Those are not crucial things. They're not core issues. They're not, uh, it's not what defines free grace theology. We try to come up with views that are most consistent with uh, the other scriptures. But that's what Bible study is all about. But at the core of it, we all agree that salvation by grace is absolutely free, only received through faith in Jesus Christ as the one, as the Son of God who died for us and rose from the dead. It is an absolutely free gift, even though we may differ on interpretations of this or that passage. So why is the free grace view important anyway? Well, first of all, the truth of the gospel is at stake. Uh, what what more important truth do we have for this world or applies to our lives than the truth of the gospel and it's at stake and I, I warn people that the gospel is only one generation away from extinction and boy is it becoming harder and harder to find when I listen to TV and radio preachers or read the articles we've got a lot of work to do I've got job security anyway
I've got a lot of work to do. People ask me, when are you going to retire? I think, well, when everybody believes like I do, I'll retire. <laughs> and everybody understands the gospel. But the truth of the gospel is at stake. There's no more important truth than that. I mean, people die for that truth. The, 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 the apostles died for that truth. Jesus died for that truth. You want to know how bad things are in the world? You talk about America. You go around the world in places like Ghana. I surveyed 658 pastors, and I asked them all these things that you had to do to be saved. I, there was only one right answer. Believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin. And 88% uh, said, yeah, believe in Jesus. But look, at the, uh, they also said four or five other things. You can get this survey on my website, blank, and use it in your church. And even if you're in a free grace church, people won't get it right. I'll tell you that right now. Don't be, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. So in Ghana, 88% said, yeah, believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. But they also added all these other things. How many said only believe in Jesus Christ? Less than 5% out of 658 church leaders, denomination leaders. Everybody who was anybody in Ghana was at this conference. All right. That's not surprising, that's just typical. You want to go to another country, you go to India, you find it's less than 3%. Less than 3%. When they go away understanding the clear gospel of Jesus Christ, they go away with a smile on their heart. And that's what we're there for. And that's what we miss, miss, miss doing so much, especially this year with the COVID going on. The salvation of people is hindered. I'm reminded of one story of a fellow who's now preaching the gospel of grace in Ghana. And one of, from one of our first conferences. And he came up to me after the conference and he said, you know, I'm so ashamed I have to repent. He said, I, have been, I think I've been keeping people out of heaven instead of getting them to heaven. Wow. I've been teaching them that they need to do this and do that and do this and do that and do that. A long list of things. I think I've been keeping people out of heaven. But now I understand it's through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a free gift. And that's what he's still preaching today. All over the country of Ghana. He was hindering people. When we attach conditions, we're hindering people from uh, salvation because they know they can't live up to those. And, and, and if should somehow they be saved by our message, they live with doubt and are stagnant in their growth. This is a man I'm working with in Zambia right now. He was a pastor of a Baptist church for 12 years. And this is what he wrote after being a pastor of the church. He said, he found my website. And so he we began to correspond. He said, this is his testimony. I have come to experience this grace awakening. I have come to see that God forgave my sin once and for all by grace. When I look back, I see that I was religious and not even saved back then. He's talking about as a Baptist pastor. I have this burning desire to help others in Zambia and to see them experience the grace life that I am now experiencing of not condemning myself, resting in the finished work of Christ, of knowing that it is only Jesus that can live a victorious Christian life in me. Uh, Francis is the one who's leading up our Zambia Zoom training right now in that country. Because he wants to share that message. So free grace's view, view is important because it's the only view that allows assurance, full assurance, the only way full assurance is possible is by understanding the absolutely free grace of God. Again, the moment you put performance in there as a condition of any kind, any kind of performance, you immediately take away someone's assurance because somebody at some point is going to fail or not live up to that standard of performance. 
But grace says God has accepted us totally and fully as his children, and you are secure forever in his love. What a wonderful message that is. Only we can say that. I deal with this issue of assurance everywhere I go, and you know when I do, uh, it puts smiles on their hearts. And sometimes, because of the language barrier, it's a little hard to tell, but I'm convinced that many of these pastors just get saved because all they've preached and all they are preaching is works right now. Uh, here's a testimony of one. I had doubts about faith and works for 10 years, but now all my doubts have cleared away, pastor from India. I had one pastor say, I've been a pastor for 20 years and I thought I was going to hell and I thought my people were going to hell until I came to this conference and heard about grace. Another one says, after I come to this conference, I understood about grace and faith and salvation. I had great fear that if I do not live a holy life, I will go to hell. But at this conference, I come to understand salvation is eternal. I'll never go to hell. It's that kind of thing that we want to give people, is that kind of assurance. The picture of this man here was somebody we trained uh, probably about eight or nine years ago. Just got an email from him two days ago. And he said, I just want you, I haven't talked to him in a couple of years. He said, I just want you to know I am taking your materials and notes and preaching them all over India and these villages still about the free grace of God. It's a foundation for spiritual growth. We have to start with grace. If we don't have grace, we don't have assurance. If you don't have assurance, you cannot have healthy Christian growth. You can't grow forward if you keep looking backwards, wondering if you're saved. You can't be mired in introspection and doubt and expect to grow joyfully in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's the best foundation for grace. And that's why I wrote my book, Living in the Family of Grace. It builds that foundation and then explains Romans as how you can grow in grace. It gives us the proper motivation of love and um, gratitude for living the Christian life instead of fear and doubt, which would be legalism. And it makes available to us deeper Christian life truth. Let me explain what I'm talking about. You know, some, some of these views that look at the passages of Scripture, like the book of Hebrews and 1 John, for example, they say, well, Hebrews was written to tell unbelievers that they need to keep pressing forward to salvation. Or 1 John was written to give tests of salvation to see if you're really saved, okay? So all they get out of those books is, are you saved or not? That's the message. When I look at the book of Hebrews, I see a wonderful truth unfolding about how to be a participant with Jesus Christ, a partaker of his glory in the future salvation and be blessed in the kingdom of God and as an encouragement to persevere in faith in this life, not for my salvation, but for the rewards and participation in that beautiful kingdom. And all that truth is just down the drain with those who look at Hebrews as an evangelistic tract. I never got a lot of spiritual growth out of an evangelistic tract. And then they look at 1 John and they, they say, oh, there's, there's a whole list of tests there to see whether you're a Christian or not. All it does is make people walk away with doubts, more confused than ever. I look at the book of 1 John and I say, wow, those are the ways I can know I can have fellowship with God and have a close relationship with God. It just explains what Jesus was trying to say in the upper room discourse about how to, how to abide in him. 1 John is really an expansion of John 14. Anyway, I feel sorry that so much good truth is missed like that. This fellow in Myanmar says, salvation is based on God's grace, not human efforts. It's always based on grace through faith. 
This is what he learned from us. Salvation can, cannot be lost. Thank you for the teaching. Here, some of our leaders have confused us on salvation, the Christian life, and salvation is mixed up, but now I understand. You see, they get the A truth and the B truth mixed up. And then someone in the United States wrote not long ago, thank you for your ministry. Through it, God is setting me free from years of doubt, fear, and confusion. So number five, it makes better sense of the Bible. It just makes better sense of the Bible to understand it through the lens of God's grace because God is a God of grace. And when we look at these distinctions, we can see a verse. We, have, we can now see, well, this is talking about how to be saved. And this is talking about the Christian life and what we should do. And we don't confuse the two. So we have the A truth and the B truth. And that's what my black and white book kind of separates. In this chart, you'll see in a lot of my writings that show the difference between salvation, the freeness of salvation, the costliness of discipleship. And finally, it makes ministry meaningful. It makes ministry meaningful in the church because instead of telling people every Sunday that they need to be saved, actually feeding them and helping them grow in that grace. There's nothing wrong with telling people every Sunday that need to be saved, but if that's your only message, they're never really going to grow in grace. I had one person visit our church one day and he, I said, oh, I thought you went to such and such church. He said, yeah, I got, I got sick and tired of the gospel. I said, what do you mean? He said, that's all my preacher ever preached was the gospel. I never heard any other parts of the Bible or any other truth. I want to know what the Bible says. So once established in grace, the church has now a foundation to build people up in that grace, to commend them to the word of grace, and to watch them grow in grace. It affects our missions ministry. Uh, you know, we, we, we labor hard to get funds to fund our missionaries doing work in other places cross-culturally and um, across the seas and so forth. That money doesn't come easy, but do you want to spend that money on those who are spreading a message that is not clear, that plants doubts, that robs people of joy, that puts them back under the law, or do you want them to preach a clear gospel? I encourage you as pastors, leaders, missions committee members, or whoever you are, because everybody should be supporting a missionary, everybody, not just the pastors and churches, support people with a clear message. And the theological illiteracy that we have today is deplorable. I don't even know if there's any theology in most of these, uh, some of these big churches. I, I attend some of them um, when I have to, uh, when somebody invites me or something and I don't hear theology, anything goes. No doctrinal statements online. Um, it, it's, it's a real mess out there. Uh, we have to at least get the gospel right, if nothing else, don't you think? There ought to be at least that. And then we have confidence in sharing the gospel when we believe in the free grace gospel. We're not saying, Jesus will save you, give you eternal life until you mess up. Or God has given you eternal life if you're one of the elect, but you won't know till the end of your life. You see, neither of those groups can honestly share the gospel. As Yankee was saying last night, they can't go up to say to someone and say, God loves you and Jesus died for you and offers you the gift of eternal life and you can be with him forever. They cannot say that. We're the only ones that can say that to them. And that should give us confidence in sharing the gospel. You'll find these kind of messages on my podcast, uh, by the way, simply by grace. But... Uh, 
As I close, I just want to say for anyone who's listening and has any kind of doubts about your salvation, you may have been brought up in a system that taught you to always question your salvation or that you always had to do certain things to be saved or know that you're saved. And what Grace says is um, it's, your salvation is absolutely free. God gives it to you as a gift. Now just rejoice in it and respond to him and his grace with love and gratitude. But if you have doubts, you can settle that today by simply trusting in Jesus Christ and him alone instead of yourself and your efforts in him and what he has done. He said it is finished. And he said that about you. He's done all the work that we could never do. And if you trust in what he's done as the son of God who came who died for our sins and paid that price that we could never pay and then rose from the dead to prove that he was God, to prove that that price was accepted by his father, and then he offered us this wonderful promise that if you just believe in me as your savior, you can be with me forever and I'll never cast you out. And if you place your faith in Jesus Christ today, wherever you are, whatever your position is, where you're standing, you're driving, you're, you're got your eyes wide open, you can believe in Jesus Christ as your savior. Let's do that. Father, for those who may have those doubts and fears today. I want to express this prayer of faith on their behalf that we believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who did what we could never do. He died for our sins and paid the price we could never pay. He rose from the dead. He is alive today and offers the gift of eternal life absolutely free and tells us that we can be with him forever because of what he has done. And I thank you for all who have expressed that message in their hearts or in prayer or just trusting in you right now. And may you give them that wonderful uh, relationship and deepen their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources, or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.